Hello, friends, and welcome to Dog Logical. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes, the owner and founder of R Plus Dogs, and I provide behavior and training consultation to clients all around the world. In my profession, I get asked the same questions time and time again. So I wanted to provide a resource for dog guardians where they could make sense of their dog's behavior. So alongside questions from real listeners, we'll tackle everything from dog myths to how to set you and your dog up for success. So thank you for joining me at Dog Logical, where your dog training questions get answered. Let's get started. Welcome to the first episode of Dog Logical. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing what are the best training tools. So tools, gear, equipment, accessories, all of the items we're going to be discussing today are aimed at keeping your dog safe, comfortable, and well-managed when outside of the home. While you can go very deep into the rabbit hole of training gear, today we're just sticking to the essentials. These are items which I think every dog guardian should have, either when they're first starting out with a new puppy or a new dog, or seasoned dog guardians can review this information and choose tools to improve their dog's welfare. Either way, let's get started. First on our list, harnesses. And when I say a harness, I mean a good harness. Not all harnesses are created equal. You can go into a pet shop and I'm sure you'll find lots of different varieties. But my go-to is a two-point adjustable harness which leaves the forelimbs completely unobstructed for freedom of movement. Now, this is often called a Y-shaped harness or an H harness. The Y shape comes from looking directly at the dog and you'll see a Y. Or if you're standing next to the dog looking down, it looks like an H. Examples of this are the Perfect Fit Harness, the Blue Nine Balance Harness, or the Roughwear Front Wage Harness. And if you look at the structure of these, this is ultimately what you want to go for. It doesn't really matter too much about the actual brand, but it needs to be comfortable. So nothing that goes across the chest or the forelimbs, and nothing that tightens on the body. Imagine walking in a really uncomfortable pair of shoes that are tight. It's not going to exactly be a great experience for you. So you don't want a harness that tightens on your dog. Now, a question I get asked a lot is, will this harness teach my dog not to pull? And the answer is no. Nothing teaches your dog not to pull except for training. But what the harness will do is allow your dog to be more comfortable and willing to learn. We need to make sure that our dogs are comfortable and not causing any damage or discomfort to themselves. So if you have a really uncomfortable harness, your dog is more likely to pull away from you because they want to escape that discomfort. Whereas if they're in a comfortable harness and they can move quite easily, this tends to relax them and they have a better training experience. It's important to remember that any tool that causes your dog to stop pulling instantly is doing so through discomfort or pain. So we want to avoid that as much as possible. Now that being said, I have had a few clients where we've done some foundation training for loose lead and then we've switched them to a more comfortable harness. 
And the dogs change almost overnight. They're happy, they're comfortable, they're no longer pulling. To me, teaching a loose lead is like a dance. You don't really know the steps your partner is going to take, so you need to practice together. And once you understand the dance, then you dance beautifully. But it takes that amount of practice and communication to get to that point. I didn't say a collar. Now, if your dog never pulls, then sure, use a collar. But if your dog pulls on occasion, or if your dog is learning how not to pull, I'm more inclined to recommend a well-fitting harness. The reason for this is the structure of the dog's neck. It is shockingly similar to our own. And we tend to think that a dog's neck is stronger than ours when this isn't true. The dog's neck holds vital features just like our own. Things like the thyroid, the esophagus, the spine. So when we use a collar and our dog pulls, it's putting a lot of pressure on these areas. And this can cause damage. Damage that can be significant enough to impact your dog's health and welfare. Now, I want you to do a little experiment for me. Take two fingers and poke your neck just under the chin. It doesn't matter how hard. The neck is a very sensitive area, and this doesn't feel too good, even when we do it to ourselves. So a dog isn't choosing to choke themselves, and when this happens, it can't be that great or comfortable for them. This is another reason why I choose a harness, because it takes the pressure off of the neck and puts it onto the bulk of the body. So if your dog is going to pull, it saves this part of the dog's body from any kind of damage. Next up, leashes. So my everyday go-to is an eight-foot training leash. And this is something that has double-ended, so clips on either end, and multiple D-rings. It provides for a versatility. It can go around the body or over the shoulder, making for easy, hands-free training or walking with your dog. So your dog is still anchored to you, but you're not holding on to the lead with one hand. It's also adjustable, so it means that it can give your dog more freedom on a walk if you're out when you have a bit more room to roam. Or if you're in town or you need your dog to be close to you, you can shorten the lead. Now, dogs tend to sniff more and pull less on longer leashes, and this is why I tend to use this one. I want my dogs to enjoy the walk as much as possible. And we don't really do a lot of road walks, so to be honest, my dogs are off lead most of the time. But when they are on lead, I just want them to have as much room to navigate as possible. And I often find that when I work with clients and we switch them to a longer leash, more often than not, the dog stops pulling at least as hard or as frequent as they were before. So what this can also offer is structure. When I teach a loose lead, I'm basically teaching a don't pull me. And I use this through communication alongside a two-point harness. So I call this the mullet method, business in the front, party in the back. And what I mean by that is when we have two points attached to the two-point harness with the training lead, the lead is naturally, it's shorter. So we're going to ask our dogs to pay more attention to us. We're going to ask them to keep a, an even pace. They're probably not going to sniff as much. Whereas if they're on just the back clip of the harness 
and they have that full extent of the lead, they're able to move around more freely, they're able to sniff. It's more of a slower paced walk. So this is easy communication given to the dog that when I clip you at the front, we're gonna move as a certain way, but when you're clipped on the back, usually associated with a cue like go sniff, your dog is able to freely move around more. And because we're very regimented at only using these two lead lengths, it means that the dog quickly understands how much room they have to navigate. My next essential is going to be a training line, and I recommend a 10 to 15 foot biothane line. So unlike traditional nylon lines, biothane is sturdier, more hard wearing, and lightweight. It also makes it really nice because they don't tend to tangle themselves up as much as the nylon lines. And when your dog is dragging that through wetter environments, it doesn't pick up the moisture. So unlike the nylon, when you get it back to the car, it's not this tangled mess of wet grossness that you're less likely to use the next time because it was such a hassle. So I just find that clients are more likely to use these because they're easier. And training lines are really important. We tend to let our dogs off much sooner than we're both prepared for. And if you let your dog off, to me, you're making a commitment to the world saying, my dog is well behaved, my dog will come back when I call, my dog's not going to bother you or any other dogs in the environment. And if you can't make that promise, then you shouldn't let your dog off. So training lines are a great way to practice your recall, but also keep your dog safe. They're also great for adhering to leash laws. So if you're in open space and your dog needs to be on leash for certain laws, but they have a really great recall, you can allow them that freedom, but also allow them to still be attached to a leash. And the final thing that they're really great for is if you're new to an area. So say that you've never been to a place before, but you don't wanna let your dog off completely, it allows you to have a little bit of that security blanket by just letting your dog carry around that lead that you can get to if you need to. Even for my own dogs, we have biothane lines that I will use in places where I don't feel 100% comfortable because we've never been there before. So leashes are an essential tool for dogs and by using just these two different types, it gives you a lot of versatility, but a lot of safety. Next is the training pouch. Now, motivation is everything when it comes to training your dog. And let's face it, a well-trained dog has the ability to be safer, especially when out of the home. Now, thankfully, science in the last decade has shifted its interest towards learning more about dogs. And we know a lot more now about the way that they think, learn, and respond. That, in turn, helps shape the ways that we train and care for them. And science has told us time and time again that the most ethical way to train is through the use of positive reinforcement, namely food. When it comes to choosing a reward pouch, there are a couple things to consider. They need to be easy to clean, comfortable to wear, and make food readily accessible. Now, there are a few different types on the market, such as silicone pouches. Now, I find these super easy to clean, but they don't tend to come with belts. So you have to usually clip it on a pocket or your waistband. This doesn't always work and they sometimes fall off. 
So I tend to use these as more of pocket liners rather than exterior to my body. There are other different types which have washable inner liners and those are perfectly okay because they tend to come with belts. One tip that I would give is to get something like a fanny pack or bum bag. These are readily accessible. You can pick them up almost anywhere and they tend to be much cheaper than buying a reward pouch. So if you're a little bit hesitant, pick up one of these. As long as they have multiple sections and you can fit a lot in them, they make really, really great reward pouches. I personally have a few different types of reward pouches and I find myself alternating between them depending on my mood or my needs. Another great tip instead of carrying a pouch is carrying around things like squeezy foods or refillable pouches. You can find pre-packaged baby food pouches or squeezable cheese, and this is a popular choice. I like making my own mixtures, so I'll use things like silicone travel tubes or chef bottles or other refillable squeezy bottles to make my own mixtures. These are often high value and they can fit into a pocket offering an easy, quick reward that can be adjusted to the environment. And what I mean by that is if there's something super scary coming or I need my dog's attention for a little bit longer, I can just keep squeezing. They make excellent options for puppies with nippy teeth as well because it removes your hand from the food and from the teeth. Last but certainly not least, we have muzzles. I believe every dog should be muzzle trained. You never know when you're going to need to use a muzzle, and it is far easier to train your dog how to use that tool from the get-go rather than needing to use it in the moment and making life more difficult and stressful for you and your dog. There are two main types of muzzles. You have the cloth or mesh muzzle and the basket muzzle. So the cloth and mesh for me are dedicated to veterinary emergency treatment only. They are far too restrictive for the dog to have on for an extended period, and they are certainly not for everyday use. They will not allow a dog to pant or drink as they clamp the jaw shut. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I don't even think these types of muzzles should be for commercial purchase because they serve no purpose for the general public. Then we have basket muzzles. And they're as they sound. They're an open weave muzzle, which provides a buffer between the dog's mouth and the environment. They're generally made of things like biothane, plastic, metal or wire, and can have a little bit of leather sometimes too. The dog can pant, they can drink, and they can even eat in these muzzles, providing a better overall experience. You need to make sure if you are going to choose a muzzle that your dog has enough room to open their mouth completely. They can be used every day and they can be used for long periods of time, but they should always be positively introduced and conditioned as to not cause a dog distress. You want your dog to be excited when they see the muzzle. The muzzle comes out and that equals good things are going to happen. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me for my first dog logical episode. I hope that you have had an enjoyable time and learned some information along the way. If you would like to know more about me or to get in touch to work with me, you can find me at www.rplusdogs.com. If you're on Facebook and Instagram, you can find our links in the bio. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure to share it with a friend. Thanks, guys, and see you again soon.